I'd like to turn you to Mark chapter 15 again, <clears throat> entitled the message tonight, The Way to God. The Way to God. Let's just unite our heart together and we word of prayer as we come to the preaching. And you pray the Lord have a word of season for your soul. Lord, we thank thee tonight for thy presence. We do not take it for granted. We do claim the promise where the two or three are gathered together in thy name. There am I in the midst of them. We thank the Lord tonight the way of the cross leads home. And O oh God, we bless thee for each one in the meeting house tonight that can say they're on that way. Lord, there's others and they're yet lost and lone. And we cannot leave them. We cannot, Lord, leave them on that broad road. We want them over there. And we pray that thou might speak even tonight. Thou might bring us, Lord, into this passage. Thou would give us understanding. Oh, we thank the Lord. We never tire in coming to Calvary. And we pray that the Savior might be uplifted far above all. By if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Lord, we claim that word. We pray that for thy drawing power tonight, thou would draw sinners unto thyself. We bless thee that we're still in the day of thy grace. Thou art yet saving souls, as we've heard about, Lord, even in recent days in the very area. Lord, wilt thou do it again and again and again. Lord, we think of our weak country tonight and how it needs that revival. How it needs, Lord, thee to intervene. And to turn the tide of iniquity. Oh, wilt thou come and graciously visit us even in Market Hill. Be with us, we pray. Oh, I pray for the outpouring of thy Holy Spirit. Lord, Spirit of the living God, come and fall afresh upon us. Fill me with thy Spirit with power, that I might preach as thus. And thus saith the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There are many today, and they sit under a religious message that is man-centered. And it is what man can do if he is to be in heaven one day. I read somewhere where one said, and I thought it was good, too many folk have a religion that is two letters short. Their religion is due, whereas in the New Testament it is dumb. D-O-N-E. The idea of doing and of activity is something that is found in the false religions of the world. And there are plenty of them who have a message of works. But men and women look at Calvary. And there is a place where much activity was found. Much people were involved. There was a Relentless hatred of the scribes and the Pharisees against the Christ of God. There was the treachery of Judas, that familiar friend of Christ that would lift up his heel against him. There was the weakness of Pilate. And they all seemed to have a part to play in the crucifixion of the Savior. But you know, when we come to a passage such as Mark chapter 15, we begin to realize that what Christ was doing was fulfilling the will of God as agreed from eternity past. 
As the Savior moved toward the cross, as he set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem, he does as a victor, a victor who would bruise the head of the serpent. He did so that he might accomplish the work that he came to do. The death of the Savior was ultimately the work of God. A work which man could never have done of himself, but a work that had to be done. If man was ever to be reconciled to a holy God. A work which was to be done once and for all, and something which would never need to be done again. And those very truths are found in my text tonight. A text that will show you the very first sign that was to occur after the Savior finished the work on the cross. It brings us into the temple. It brings us beyond the public gaze of the crowds that day that were congregated around the foot of Calvary. Oh, there was the darkness and there was the earthquake. Those were things which were witnessed by many because they were out in the open. But within this inclusion of the temple, its silence is broken as the veil was rent in twain. And as a result... There's a way opened up to God for guilty, hell-deserving sinners. My text, verse 38. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. What do you notice? It was required. While there are many veils in the temple, and that is replicated, of course, from the tabernacle in the Old Testament times, yet the one in question here is the most important of all. For it was the veil that divided the holy place from the holiest of holies. And there's a reason for that. It takes us back into those Old Testament times when God instructed Moses about the erection of the tabernacle itself and the veil that was to be in it. I'm bringing you back to Exodus chapter 26. In the words of verse 31, And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubims shall it be made. Verse 33, And thou shalt hang up the veil up under the tashes that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide you Divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. Within this veil, beyond this veil, if you like, if I can put it like that, was the Ark of the Covenant. And upon it was the mercy seat. And it was there that the Shekinah glory of the Lord was known. And that's where the presence of God was symbolically displayed by that Shekinah glory. The veil itself. I'm sure the ladies have plenty of veils in the house and maybe curtains on the windows. But you've got to get away from that sort of thought. The veil itself is understood to be as thick as a palm of a hand. The veil itself was one which was spanning 60 feet long and 30 feet wide. 
One can appreciate that it was so heavy that it would take many priests in order for it to be hung up. And only once a year upon the Day of Atonement did the high priest dare go beyond that veil into the most holy place. You see, the veil kept any intruders from entering into the most sacred place of the tabernacle. That place, that area where God's presence dwelt between the cherubims. And any who would enter beyond that veil apart from the high priest they would do so with the risk of immediate death. Leviticus chapter 16 and the words of verse 2 brings it out. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. The veil was required. Because it speaks to us of the holiness of God. And of course, sin causes separation. There's a time, of course, when man was in sweet communion with his creator in the garden of paradise. There was no barrier between. But then sin entered into this world. And there's separation. A separation that man could never bridge. And for any who came into the temple and who felt that they had a right to approach God they were mistaken. For the message that the veil spoke to them was simply this. No entry. No entry. The way into the presence of a thrice holy God was bowered. And it was blocked. For God is a purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look upon iniquity. It is impossible for man to approach God in his own right. It doesn't matter what kind of man that he is, whether it's a religious man, whether it's a church-going man. He cannot approach God in a fellowship with him in his sin. Because sin separates between a holy God and a sinful people. The Savior was to teach it. In John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, men and women, the veil was required because sin separates us between a holy God, a truth taught even by the children's chorus. There is a city bright. Closed are its gates to sin, not that defileth ever can enter in. But the veil was required as it speaks of the need of the precious blood being shed. The high priest I've already made reference to on the one day of the year, the day of atonement, would only go within the veil having the blood of the animal. That blood he would sprinkle before and upon the mercy seat. That was the price that God required. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The sins of the people on the day of atonement would be confessed over the head of that animal. Those sins, as it were, would be transferred from the person even to that innocent animal. And with the animal being, being slain, its blood was shed. And the high priest collecting that blood would enter into the presence of God. He would sprinkle it upon and before the mercy seat so that between the law, the law that was in that ark, the tables of the law that man had broken, between that and between a holy God represented by the cherubims and the Shekinah glory between those cherubims would be presented the blood. The veil was required, you see. 
because the precious blood had to be shed. The veil was required because sin needed to be punished before the sinner could be pardoned. That principle was laid down from the beginning of time. For when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden, the Lord God came and he was to take that animal and he was to kill it. Its blood was shed so as to provide a covering for the nakedness of our first parents. The fig leaves of their own making would not do. That sacrifice was needed. The blood shed was required. Dear people, those Old Testament types, they surely thrust you and me forward to Calvary. For there God provided himself a lamb. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was to take upon himself our sin. His purpose in coming to this earth was as the Savior of a guilty, hell-deserving people. And it was Christ, Christ, who was God manifest in the flesh and who dwelt among us, who took upon himself the form of the nature of man, yet without sin, so that he could stand between a holy God and a sinful people. He was God, but he was also man, the blessed God-man. If the people were ever to be saved from their sins, and there needed to be one who would bridge the gap that sin had caused, that one was Christ. Christ Jesus The one who could stand in between is the only mediator between God and men. If sinful man was ever to have access to God, then one needed to come and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin and shed his precious blood. That one was Christ. For there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. That meant that the Lord must needs go to Calvary. Remember what he said in John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Lord Jesus Christ, to save his people from their sins, would offer himself as that once for all sacrifice for sins. And upon Calvary, he would be lifted up between heaven and earth in that place of no standing. So that sinful man might regain a standing before God. He said to his disciples, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Christ must needs die if any were ever to be saved, if any were ever to know the pardon of their sin and have peace with God and stand justified before him. It was required. And we can see it all typified in the veil of the temple. But you know, not only was it a required veil, but it was also a rent veil. Our text brings us to consider what happened that never-to-be-forgotten day. About three o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour, when Christ was to lay down his life on that cross. I want you to try and put yourself 
in that temple. I was trying to get you to stand on the seashore this morning in John chapter 21. I want you to try and stand in the temple at that moment. And with the high priest engaged in the work of the holy place, his work was never done. There was no seat for him. He never sat down. And suddenly, he's to hear this tearing noise, only to look up. And to see the veil being rent. Verse 37, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil in the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. You consider the tearing, it's from the top to the bottom. The very fact that that large and heavy curtain was rent from the top to the bottom signifies that this was the work of no man's hand. I've already given you the dimensions of it. It's a large veil. There's no human hands involved. There's no human hands seen in this rending. No human hands could have uh, rent that sacred veil. C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of London, said this. This was rent by God, not by man. It was not the act of an irreverent mob. It was not the midnight outreach of a set of profane priests. It was the act of God alone. Only a powerful miracle of God could rend the veil from the top to the bottom. And what was true of the veil being rent in the temple is true also of the death of Christ on the cross. You see the correlation? There's no man who could take his life from him, but he that had the power to lay down his life had also the power to take it up again. And although the cruel and wicked hands of men did their worst, yet through it all, from the very promise of his coming to setting his face toward Jerusalem and willingly giving himself to the death of the cross, we come to realize that this was an act of God alone. We must learn to look beyond the physical aspects of the cross and realize that what God was doing in the death of his son, the work of atonement was not wrought by Pilate. It was not wrought by the Roman soldiers. It was accomplished by what God did. And Isaiah the prophet, he could say, he was smitten of God and afflicted. We know those words, don't we? He was smitten of God. It pleased God to bruise him. There's another part of Isaiah 53. The Savior's death on the cross was planned by God from before the foundation of the world so that he might redeem a people unto himself, that he might save them from their sins. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Something that only could be done once and for all and could never be repeated. In salvation, man has no part of it. It's the work of God. It's a powerful work in that God can be just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. And it was so with the tearing of that veil. It was God alone who could do it and rend it. But I want you to see also here, you notice the timing in which the rent happened with the veil. The context of the verse shows us. If you bring verse 37 in together, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. 
It came at the very same time that the Savior was to cry with a loud voice in which he yielded up the ghost. What was it he cried? John tells us, John 19 verse 30. One word, finished. The work was finished. One word heard from the midst of the darkness at Calvary, midday or after midday, three o'clock in the afternoon. And that was symbolized in how we read the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. You know, it wasn't rent halfway down. It was rent from the very top to the very bottom because Christ didn't purchase a half salvation. He completed the work. You don't have to do your wee bit. You don't have to put uh, one third of it uh, to his work. It's completely done. And when Christ has finished the work, and when all the scriptures were fulfilled concerning the work of redemption, that was the timing when the veil was rent even in the temple. I, I want you to imagine the fright that this would have given to the priest in the temple at that time. That the rending of the veil must have been as terrible to that priest as the darkness was to the people in the very land. He now could look Beyond the veil. He could see right into the holiest of holies. He could see the place where no human eye could have seen before without the threat of immediate death. And you'll note that the veil was rent in twain. As we read there in verse 38, the sense of it, Luke brings it out in his account, maybe a a little stronger, it's rent in the midst. It's in the middle. And that meant that the priest could clearly see the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the the cherubims on either end of that mercy seat. They were now visible. There's no longer any hindrance to coming into the holiest of holies and where God's presence was symbolized. I trust that you realize that the rent veil was such that it was not just rolled up or folded away and, and put to the side that it might be used sometime in the future. It can never be hung up again. It was rent from the top to the bottom in the very midst. Only one veil was made and now it was completely rent. Not a single thread remained unbroken to bar the way to God. And therein lies the significance for in the death of Christ. It too was a once for all sacrifice. It was the just one dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. It's an offering for sin unto God which was acceptable in the Father's sight. And we know that, of course, because the third day he rose again from the grave. And though through it, I want you to understand that it was a salvation that has been purchased at the highest cost. You see, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 25 tells us, Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just once. Didn't need to repeat it often. As the high priest had to do with the animals. But he offered one sacrifice for sin 
at the end of the world. The end of the world is from the first coming of Christ until the second coming. Now let me ask you, as I, before I go any further, do you know anything personally of the miracle which Christ wrought that day? Have you experienced God's salvation for yourself through that perfect, that once for all sacrifice of the Savior on the tree? Can you say, by his stripes, preacher, I am healed. I am healed tonight. You see, there is a necessity of the, the veil, the requirement of it. And there is the rent veil before us. And I want you to notice also it is a veil that is replaced where before no eye could look. No eye could see the Ark of the Covenant. No way of approach was available to sinful man. Now things were different. Now things were changed because Christ had died. Christ had finished the work of our redemption on Mount Calvary. The rent veil was replaced by a risen Christ. No longer does pardon for sin involve ritual. No longer does it involve ceremony with animal sacrifices. These things were but a figure of things to come. But Christ, the sacrificial lamb, has replaced the type. And that's why we can read Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 12, you listen to this. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And a tremendous truth. Christ, through that one sacrifice on the cross, has entered into the holy place to where God is. Heaven, with his own blood, having purchased eternal redemption for his people. The work whereby we may be reconciled to a holy God has been completed. And now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. The explanation given of what the veil typified, if you see it, you turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And you just look with me at a couple of verses here. Verse 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see the correlation again. We're entering in before the mercy seat. Into the very holiest place. How can we do it? Only through the shed blood of the Lamb. By the new, verse 20, and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. His flesh. And the colors of that veil all speak of Christ. His royalty, his kingship. He became man. It's all there by the new and living way that he has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. You see, through Christ's death and blood shedding, which satisfied God, the way has been opened up for sinful and lost man to be reconciled to a holy God. For understand the replaced veil means 
That there's a pathway now that is opened up to God. There's no longer any barrier. But instead, there's an immediate access for the sinner to God through the person, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a way that has been opened up from the dark paths of sin. A door has been opened. That sinner, you may enter in. You may enter in tonight. But it's at Calvary's cross. That's where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. It's through Christ. That you, dear loved one, can come to God. It's not through a church. It's not through baptism, confirmation, or any of that. It's through Christ alone. And he it is who is the friend of sinners. It is he who was rent on that cross. It is he who is the great high priest. He's not only the sacrifice, you see, he's the high priest. And he's the high priest who has entered within the veil. It is he who made atonement for souls. It is through the cross work of Christ that you can come into the presence of God. The threat of death has now been met. The threat of death has been removed. And it's removed in Christ. It's all bringing together those truths of the Old Testament. And what that veil in the temple meant to those who knew and had the Old Testament Scriptures. It's replaced by Christ now. And the replaced veil means that a welcome is extended unto the sinner in the Gospel. I think, you know, there's a lovely thought in the manner in which Matthew records this. I want you just to come back with me to the end of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 27. You read with me just a couple of verses here. And it's really the same verses, the same passage that we've been reading in Mark. It says, verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared unto many. The same unseen and powerful hand that rent the beautiful veil in the temple. That veil that concealed the holiest of all was at the same time also to open the graves. The one act of God laid open the way even from ruin and from death caused by sin right into the height of God's glory because the hand that rent the veil also opened the graves no human priest is needed the way from the grave to glory was but one step and by the blood through the veil the sinner no matter how unclean he might at once with boldness take his place before the throne of glory that's God's salvation that's what Christ has accomplished even through his death on the cross. And while before the veil meant no entry, you remember I said that, Christ now says, come unto me, all your labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's now a welcome extended. Come. Wonder, dear loved one, the gospel 
as you've sat under it again tonight, as it invites you unto Christ, who alone can save you from your sins, who alone can pardon you and bring you unto God. You can approach unto God, and it is in His, in his presence you can live. That's where God would have His people to live. I wonder, will you take that invitation tonight? You see, where sin drove Adam and Eve from the presence of God, death and the precious blood of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ has meant that we can be brought back into his presence to dwell there. Dear loved one without Christ tonight, will you not just come now and find peace with God through the blood of his cross? We've invited you before. We've invited you during the mission. And you've held back. But I wonder will you come now? God help you to avail of his invitation. And to press in to Christ. And to make sure that one day you'll be in heaven. Because your sins are forgiven. They're pardoned. And Christ has paid it all. At the cross called Calvary. And he's opened up a way. For you to come now. No more veil. God bids me enter. Will you come? I pray you will. I pray the Lord will bless. Even his word to our hearts tonight. For his own name's sake. 268 just let's sing this in closing. In the invitation I heard the voice of Jesus say. Come unto me and rest. Lay down thy weary one. Lay down thy head. Upon my breast. You'll find it on page 264. Let's just stand it, uh, stand as we sing it, number 268. Sorry, two, page 284. I should say that's number 268.
Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We bless the Lord that the message tonight is no entry. But Lord, rather it is, come unto me, all ye labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank the Lord the way has been opened up. Thank the Lord for that sign of the veil been rent. A sign that the work of on, on the cross of redemption was finished. And, O oh God, we praise thee, it was a sacrifice once and for all that was acceptable with thee. And, Lord, tonight we're still in the day of thy grace. Now we're yet calling sinners and inviting them even to come. Lord, will you give deciding grace tonight? I pray, Lord, that the sinner might hear the invitation of the Lord above the call of the preacher. And, Lord, that they might come to the foot of the cross and they might accept Christ personally into their heart as their own and personal Savior. Do it for a child, a young person, Lord. Do it for an adult. O God, be glorified. Part us now with thy blessing. Lord, give us journey and mercies. Give a good week, Lord, and in the work of God in this house. And be glorified above all others. We pray these things in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.